Hey yo, we about to tear it up. Yo, break for break, break for break, get down. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. It's a Breaking Actors podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the Potty Mouth of the South. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. Once again, the, act, the actual factual, actual facts. Actual you're loving fact, this. Right? You're, yeah, you're loving this run. You're loving this yeah. run, aren't you? Chris? Does, does what does what it says on the tin, isn't it? Ron Seal, Ron Seal, yeah, Ron Seal, Ron Seal. So yes, as you can probably tell from the description, we have a legend, an absolute certifiable legend of the game, Mike Geronimo. On the Breaking Atoms podcast. Come on, man. We got to shout out his family for making this happen. This was, this was, again, like we keep talking about this. This is the run we're on. This was, again, bucket list. Uh, we wanted to speak to OC. We want to speak to Mike Geronimo. And we'll speak to more members of the DITC. It's going to keep happening. It's going to keep moving. But this is really exciting for me. I've got his promo vinyl, bro. Like I've got, I've got white label. Like I've got the singles. I've got the misprints. Like Mike Geronimo. He, 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 he was a soundtrack for a lot of us growing up. Yeah. For, from, for our age, he was the soundtrack for us and the posse cuts and all that. And he gets into everything. He gets into his music, what happened with Puff. He gets into like, how he was feeling at that time. He got some crazy DMX story that you'll get, you know, you'll have to get to at the end. Like, that's a crazy story he's never told anyone. And more importantly, he's just a nice guy. Definitely. We had a really, really lovely conversation with dude. And he's always going to be welcome here on the Breaking Outs podcast, Chris. And I know for you, you, you quite enjoyed that. We broke down lyrics with him. Like, it was, it was dope, Chris. I just got to perform the, uh, the hook for Master IC with him. Come on, man. That's me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Now, so, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Geronimo, Breaking Outs podcast. Check it out. Right, this, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm on my third run of uh, DJ Envy. This is a special guest, but this is a very special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. We have a legend, a legend from Queens, Flushing, 90s legend, someone we grew up on. We've got Mike Geronimo on the Breaking Atoms podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm, I'm on Breaking Atoms right now. I'm, I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, how, how, how's, how's your mental, man? Like, this is crazy times, man. How are you keeping? How's family? How's everyone keeping? Well, th- thank God, like, my family is, is good. All things considered, you know, my wife's good. My kids are good. You might see all three of them fly in here any second. So, I mean, first and foremost, that's, you know, that, and that's everything. So I'm grateful that they're okay. Uh, I just spoke to my mom yesterday. She's fine. My brother and my sisters, all my immediate family, thank God. They're all right. Uh, I lost an uncle to COVID-19 in the beginning of, you know, the, uh, the pandemic. So it's not to say that we've gone, you know, through it smooth sailing. Um, and then all in all, you know, there's just a lot going on in the world right now. You know, so I try to, I, I, I for the most part, uh, I feel okay, you know, and, and I feel like, um, I have a lot of reasons to get up the next day and be thankful and be appreciative and try and find some way to, you know, not let all the madness going on around the world get to you. So for all in all, we're all right. I mean, 
it's definitely crazy out here right now, you know, with the pandemic and the election and, you know, the, 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 the racism and the protesting and shooting and looting. And you got all this shit happening right now, but you just have to be thankful for those things that keep you grounded and keep you going, you know? Yeah. So all in all, we're cool. Definitely. Um, as we said off, off air, we're excited. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you first off the rip wasn't just about writing. As, mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid growing up in Queens, I understand mm-hmm. you, wanted, you really wanted to be a DJ, not a rapper yeah. growing up. Yeah. What, yeah. What, was, what was going to be your DJ name? I, actually, my DJ name was, K, was KBAB, and it happened because my men in school, we used to call him FUD, my man Hanif. When we would ride the bus home, we would always pass this this uh, like um, gyro spot, like flushing kebab gyro or whatever. And he right. said something one day that was a joke and I started laughing on the bus and then he's like, yo, you should change your name to kebab, but just joking. And I was like, I bet you if I do, I'll make it sound hot. And he's like, okay, let's see. So I did and I got the rhinestone hat and the baseball hat like we had at Queens with it on and all of that. And that was the beginning. You know, that was the beginning. And I would spend every single moment running back and forth from record stores and then popping up in the morning and turning on the techniques and the, the mixer. And that was just, that would be me and I would be good the whole day. That's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know you had a name. I was, I, was, I, was, I was hoping that you'd say, nah, I didn't have one. But you actually had a name. That's, that's crazy. Nah, I had a name. Like, I mean, I wasn't... Don't like I don't want to make it sound like yeah you know me and Clue were going at it like no I wasn't. <laughs> he'll drop bombs he'll drop bombs Mike he'll drop right. bombs you know but, right so I, I never made it to stage but I was dedicated actually it's funny because a uh, large professor I was just with him maybe two three weeks ago and he's like my big brother in life so he really like got on me he's like yo you should have like never stopped DJing and me and Van are like really upset that you stopped DJing and you should have kept doing that. And and I was like, damn, you felt that way about what I, he's like, yeah, you were like good at what you did, the way you did it. So why would you stop? And I was like, okay, maybe I'll go get some equipment for the house. We'll see. You know, but yeah. Speak, speaking of pro, um, Extra P, the second mm-hmm. question I had was, he's an individual now that keeps coming up on the podcast to people we've spoken mm-hmm. to. Right, so Marco Polo, OC, um, mm-hmm. obviously the the, the Breaking Out podcast main source is a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now, absolutely. <laughs> now I understand. Obviously, he was kind of a neighbor. You grew up around him. Um, going to his house and the freestyle sessions that you guys would kick. What was the craziest session you guys had at the house, and who was there? Oh man, there was so many. But I mean, it's ill because, like I said, like. He's literally the first person who, if my mother was like, who are you outside with? And I'd be like, mom, I'm with Paul. Like we know him as, as Paulie. So I would be out, I'm with Paulie. So he's literally like a big brother to me. So I've known him since I was six years old, five years old. Um, so fast forward, it was just ritual to be at his house. And the coolest part about, you know, his house is like so much talent 
just pass through. So on a regular day, it could be uh, Nas, Ak, uh, Guru, Premier, uh, Q-Tip came by a lot. Buster came by a lot. Pete Rock definitely came by a lot. And it was cool for me because, like, I was just a, a teenager at that time, but I got to meet all of these heroes in his living room while he's, you know, on the, on the, either the, either he was on the SP and he would play a beat right. or he would just cut beats up. So to me, I think one time that stands out is, uh, I remember Nas was there. Uh, it was me, Paul, Nas, my man Van, my man Yumi, Flush, my brother, my man Lenny. Um, and that was like the immediate crew of the crib. And I forget which one of us started it off. It might've been Yumi or CeeLo, but then we all ended up rhyming, like me, CeeLo, Nas. And then we just were like in a zone and he just kept cutting beats and he started running out of beats to cut. <laughs> So he just started going to the, the SP and that made us happy because you got to understand, we would hear the beats from Large Professor that no one heard. Wow. We're like, so we would hear the beats where we were like, yo, who are you going to give that to? But then when you got to rhyme over that beat, that was like heaven. Mm. So I remember we was just rhyming and rhyming. I think like maybe the, the first person to stop was not. Like he was like, all right, you know, like, and we just kept going and kept going and kept going. But that was indicative of just being at his crib. Like we called his crib the Queen's Lounge. Named after and, the song. Right. We called it Queen's Lounge. So that was it. That's exactly what it was. You came and, and you smoked and, you know, and you listened to beats and you bobbed and, and then you went for what you knew. So I, that time sticks out. Like, that was fun. That was That's fun. Dope. That's dope. Um, your writing process. So you came out when you were really young. And what mm -hmm. I'm interested in, so I'm not a rapper. Chris is. Chris is MC. I'm just a fan. Um, right. And I'm really interested to understand the writing process of, an, of a prolific MC. So what is your writing process and how has that changed over the years? So from an 18 year old coming in right through to now, Mm -hmm. How's that process changed over the years? Um, initially, like it's, it's really different when you're just doing it and you're kind of doing it like um, because it's all you feel and it's all you know, you know. So initially, I started rapping, like I said, around Lodging them and I would play around at first, but then uh, my man Van, he would be the one who was like, Yo, you kind of, you, you kind of, you sound good doing it. So just practice and then Lodge would say the same thing. So <clears throat> I think the first thing part of me that I would start doing is just trying to stay cognizant of what I was saying. Because a lot of the rhymes that I would just shoot off at that time, they weren't written. It was just freestyling. And in Large Crib, you prided yourself on freestyling. So in terms of writing a song and an actual song structure, I actually didn't write a song until I met Irv. And when I met Irv Gotti, 
he's the one who pretty much showed me how songs were structured. I never even paid attention to that. So Shit's Real was actually my first songwriting experience. And The Natural is probably the first time that I actually sat down and was like, okay, I actually have to get paper and a pen and and I have to keep all these lines in order and okay, I get it, these are the bars and it should go to 16 in length and then I should come in at the hook. And initially in the beginning, I always had trouble with hooks because when you freestyle, yeah, you know, cause when you freestyle, it's like nothing centered on anything. And I think then the object was just to be witty and be observant. And if you can incorporate that, uh, that, uh, that which you observed with, with some sort of wittiness and it all lined up, then you were good. So it was very, very different to be given a topic and concentrate on it. And then as time went on, it got easier for me to do. Um, and then it kind of changed to the point of where I was like, okay, now I need to, I need to learn how to do this without paper and without a pen. Right. And that was maybe the hardest part of trying to, trying to learn how to do it you know, with no pen and no paper and saying to myself, well, envision a, a, a grocery bag. And every time you come up with a couple of bars, imagine you're putting another item in the grocery bag. Right. And that was just my mental exercise for trying to figure out how to write without pen and without paper. And then once I got that, then I actually started to really hone in on what a hook is, which is ironic because we had this whole discussion in the studio two days ago. So, <laughs> so, that's, so that's pretty much because now, nah, because I was saying with me, I was like, never, in my opinion, hooks were never in my strong suit. Like, if you ask me, I would say hooks are what give me, you know, the most homework. And it's different because now everything's so centered around the hook of the record. Yeah. You know, so once I started getting bearings with that, everything else kind of like fell into place. And then I think, too, I also had to tell myself, well, don't think so much because you're restricted to the parameters of a topic, meaning don't be so, you know, like, don't be nervous, Nelly. You can just you can still figuratively drive your car as fast as you want. And you just have to bear in mind all of this has to, you know, be summed up in the hook. Mm-hmm, right. And that creatively would kind of take away from the organic feeling of things. Mm-hmm. But then I would be like, yo, don't stress that, bro. Just do what you do, you know? And so then I, here we are. So yeah. one, one thing that I don't think you have much of a problem with is how to start your rhymes off, which is, for me, I'm not, look, I'm, a, I'm a journalist, I'm a reporter, I'm not an MC. <laughs> But how you start your rhymes, I can't fathom it, right? When you, when you say things like, I format my mind for combat, or periodically anthology, you're using synonyms to kick off a rhyme. And me and Chris were talking about, like, some of the best MCs ever, like, that's so hard to kick off a, a rhyme. So we were looking at Prodigy, we're thinking about Inspector Deck, we're thinking mm. about yourself. Like, you're in, for me, you're in that kind of, a class of people who can kick their rhymes off. What makes you think of bars like that to kick things off? I don't 
No, what I would say, it's funny you say that, you, you know, like you do that so easy and I'm in my head like he thinks that because <laughs> the hardest part with me always, always, never fails, never, ever fails. The hardest part is the first line. Right. Always. And then I find that after I come up with the first four bars, usually from there, it's like, you know, in most cases, I'm after that but in terms of how the only thing i would say that i think i think of that might assist that is i never want the last thing i wrote to sound like the next thing i'm writing and i i don't know if that makes sense and i never want like the way i think about it is um like if i were writing compositions in school i would always try to find a unique way to introduce a story. And I think that flowed into writing music. And so I wanna try when I write something to be the person that you don't at all expect the way I'm gonna start this off. But it's something that anyone could have thought of to start the record. Of. It's an introduction any one of us could have thought of at any given time. And I spent a lot of time like putting a lot of pressure on myself when it comes to writing with, nah, that's not a good first bar. All right, let me say this. And then sometimes it just happens. Like you might just be in a moment and you might just see something and you might just hear something and it's just, it clicks and you go. So I think that's the, the best way I could describe it. Like I'm flattered that you, you saying you feel that way about it because I definitely have the hardest time with starting the song. It's definitely the hardest thing. I just think like the way, so the best people make things look easy. So I'm a football fan. So the best footballers mm -hmm. make the hardest things look easy. And in some ways, right. it's like, like Messi or Ronaldo or Zidane, like these are footballers that make the game. Right, right, right. To rhyme off and kicks it off, it's like it's mind-boggling to me how you can do that, and it's it's a level of skill, right? So in some ways, it's a it's me paying homage as a fan, but then also trying to get inside your mind. So I appreciate I appreciate your candidness on that. No, it, it's it's um like a, it's funny to me to this day because I'll stress out so bad about how am I going to introduce this? How am I going to introduce this? And how am I going to introduce this in a way that no one's introduced it before? Mm, mm, and mm. like my wife, like my wife actually the other day, she was like, you know, cause I told her before I went to the studio that day, I was like, I'm kind of like edgy because I don't have everything in order the way that I envision. And, and I'm very big on a blueprint and schematics. And that's in any aspect of my life. I'm just that way. And so I was stressing out about it. And my wife was like, babe, just go to the studio and just put the headphones on and just let nature take its course. Mm -hmm. and, and if you do more of that and you're not as hard as you are on yourself, it'll be easier. But to me, I think that because I am that hard on myself, that's what enables me to maybe come up with a way that's different from what would be expected. Understood. Understood. Let's fast forward a bit though. Um, before you ended up on Blunt, Blunt Recordings, mm -hmm. I heard in an interview with Mr. Steve Rifkind that Loud Records were interested in signing you. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> he, men- he mentioned something about not being able to clear a sample. How did Loud Records get wind of you? And, and, uh, and why didn't you end up on Loud? He mentioned something about... He mentioned something about not being able to clear a sample. This was on the Drink Champs. Right. Um, right. How did Loud get wind of you? And, and um, what happened exactly? Why you didn't end that up there? I have no... Like that, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea how anyone found me and how they were like getting my phone number and how they were tracking me down. To this day, I have no idea how they did any of it. Um, I do remember Steve Rifkin having a lot of interest in me and like shout out to Riff because um, like he inspired me. You know, like when I think of street teams, he's the he's the Gandalf of that. He created that, you know, and he's one of the few record executives that I was lucky enough to to meet that you just knew they got it and you just knew they knew what to do. And so I think the sample issue, the clearance was with Denise Williams for Shit's Real because we sampled Denise Williams. And I think that they may have been having issues with Denise Williams. I can't remember rightfully if it was Denise Williams or Barry White, but I know whoever it was, it was a very, at that time, it was a very, uh, it was a tough cat to skin. And I don't know, you know, that that was uh, the, uh, the, the, I don't know the magnitude of the difficulty behind the sample, but I do know that it just didn't, in the time that they were debating that is when TVT presented itself. And I think that once TVT had presented itself as being, you know, they were brand new and they didn't have any rap and I was going to be the first artist and that would mean X, Y, and Z, where it wouldn't mean that in any other place. Um, you know, Irv saw that as being the best home for us. So the loud thing didn't pan out, but to this day, like, like Steve Rifkin is, is like, like mm. I appreciate him so much. I remember one time him telling me like, if he's like, um, yeah, you know, you, you could kind of be like the next Pac. Do you know you could be Pac? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know what, you know what's crazy, Mike? No, Loud like, records. It's it's nuts mm-hmm. because Loud Records is my favorite label ever. Yeah. And um yeah. I'm a I'm a big what if guy. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, no disrespect to blunt recordings, world flush, mood, all them man. But um right. I just think about what if Mike Geronimo could have just got next to um Mob Deep, you know, infamous era. Or, oh yeah, it you know, been, exhibit. It yeah, exhibit. Alcoholics, and, you know, all them. Oh. Alcoholics and woo and it, it would have been incredible. And as I said, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And also, too, what I say is, I was a baby, so yeah. there's all these things about music and the industry, the actual mechanics of the industry and these corporations and and viability and dollar and cents and in the red. And these are all things you don't know as an artist when you first come in. All you know is I like writing music and I think I could do this. And if you give me a chance, maybe I will. You know, so with that being said, I think that had had I been on Loud, I think that maybe a lot of the things that 
TVT had to somehow try to figure or buy time to figure out, I probably wouldn't have had those issues at Loud. And I definitely do think that they would have seen what we were trying to accomplish. So it's just flattering to know that somewhere in the wrinkles of time, in another dimension, that exists. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> let's let's move on to the natural. I'm I'm a bit of a nosy guy again. Like I I just think crazy things, man. I just want to know everything Go that's going it. on. When I when I look at the natural cover, right, I see right. you there, and there's shadows in the background. Various people. Mm-hmm. I've been racking my brain for years. Who are these people? Oh, those are just that's just people I grew up with. That was just my neighborhood. Okay. That was <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like, that was just, yo, what up, Rand? You going to the store? Yeah, all right, let's go walk the pick and pass. Like, that was just the people I did that with. You know what I mean? <laughs> yo, yo, it's good. Let's go smoke at your crib. Your mom's there, you know, all right, cool. So that was my whole set that I came up with. That was Wasteland. That was going to be my next question, because the... Um, yeah, that was Wasteland. The only, the only people from Wasteland that I'm familiar with are Quasi, Quasimodo. Yeah. Yeah, Modo. Yeah, he's he's he did a Buckwild. He did a song with Buckwild. Um, who are the mm-hmm. members of Who are the members of Wasteland? Well, it's funny because, like, that wasn't really for us. Like, that was just our block. That's what our block was called for for years. Okay. You know, so we we didn't really look at it in the terms of okay, Wastelands is like a group of people that spit and they rap. And if you grew up in Wastelands, you're Wasteland. Right. So it's more about a geographical place as opposed to a group. Yeah, Wastelands is the set. That's it. That's just okay. the set. Right. Okay. You learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? I thought it was like a, a... I mean, we did have... Um, like, if you go on Flush Album, if you go on Ghetto Millionaire, mm-hmm. then you hear a couple of the other people from the lands that could rap. Yeah, so because there's a song on there, and I've forgotten what it is. It's featuring Wastelands. So that's yeah. why that's why I asked that's why I asked the question, but no, like you know. Um, well, again, that, and then also too, flushed was at a certain time. I think gonna actually take the next step forward and try and sign a couple of the people from our neighborhood, and then put them out as the next wave. Uh, you know, I don't think that panned out, but that I think was his intention with that song on Ghetto Million. Right. Right. Okay. Um, outside of uh, Shit's Real, just, just for me as a, as a mm-hmm. fan, what was the first song recorded for The Natural? Wow. It might have been Master I See. Mm. Wow. Or mm. it, it was either Master I See or Three Stories High. I can't remember which one came first. I want right. to say Master I See because... Yeah, it was Master I See because Master I See was the the beginning of my working relationship with Buck. And that was like the very first time we had ever worked on anything. So not a bad first Master I See definitely was the next record out of that. Yeah, I don't think so. It came out (laughs) (laughs) I've been I've been um I've been running around where I live um, and I've been annoying my wife because I keep, I just, I keep saying, I'm so high, you so high, I'll be getting money to the day. Da, da, da. Listen, it, you know what? And it's funny because you're telling me that you're not good with hooks. Like, that no, hook no. is perfect. I'm into, like, case in point. So I'm sitting there, like, racking my brain um, 
trying to um, come up with a hook for Master IC. Um, and I couldn't. And I, re I remember I was like, what? And, and it was really, now that I look back at it again, it was really unfair of me to put that much pressure on myself because it's a very difficult beat to figure out. Like to just, to write something to go to, like I remember when Irv first heard the skeleton, it didn't, first of all, it didn't sound anything like it sounds when you hear it now. Like all I had was the skeleton of, of what it would be. And that, and I heard it and my cousin, he was signed to Rough Riders, his name is Infrared. Me and okay. Infrared, yeah, Inf is my cousin, so. Wow. Inf, yeah, so we first heard it together. And I looked at Inf and he looked at me and he's like, yo, that's fire, that's crazy. And I was like, yo, that beat is sick. And Herb was like, yo, I totally don't see anything you're talking about right now. So I had to not only make it a, a worthwhile record and not only, you know, go hard the way you always do, but I had to prove to Irv, like, this is what you didn't hear or couldn't see. And then, so I wrote it and we sitting at my mom's crib, we're at, our, at my house one day and it was me, Flush, my man, Uni, and my brother. And we were all smoking and we were really high. And I was just like, oh man, I'm so high. And then Flush was like, I'm so high. He's like, he's like, no, I'm so high too. And I was like, I'm so high, you so high. We started laughing. And then my man, you jumped in and he was like, yeah, but I'm gonna be getting money till the day that I die. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What did you just say? And he's like, I'm gonna get money till the day that I die. And I was like, wait, what did we just say? I, and Flush was like, you said I'm so high. And then I said, I'm so high. And I was like, no, but we can't do that. So we have to say, I'm so high, you so high. And then Uni said, I'll be getting money till the day that I die. And that's how we got the hook. That's awesome. amazing. That's, that is yeah, amazing. That's, that's made my day. I, I'm telling you, man, I think <laughs> that's some corn. If I was to put together a top 10 Buckwild playlist, Master mm -hmm. IC's on there. Yep. Sorry, it's got to be. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we, love, we, love, we, we, we love DITC and Buckwild over here. That's yeah. Just, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, I don't, Buck, Buck is a general, man. And DITC, like, man, they legends and that's family. So salute to them as well. But yeah, that's how we got the hook. Yeah. I, don't, I don't smoke. But when I hear I'm so high, you so high, I'm listen. So, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's terrible. <laughs> 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 I um, you know what? It's funny though because even though that's what some people call an underground classic, uh, Black Street were mm. very naughty, and they sampled it for um. They were. They yeah, did. They sampled it, it for this great. is how we roll. Um, how does it feel? And you right. know, how, did that, how did that get worked out? Because I'm sure you know they had to come up with some money for that. Oh, I got my first car because of Teddy Riley. So thanks. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know what? When I first when I when I first heard that song, I loved it. And it was only a few years ago. I was like, hold on. And I was like, yeah. what, what sample is this? I didn't even know they had done that. Really, it, that like you can thank Buck Wild for that because Buck called me one day and he was like, Yo, you know that um did you know that Teddy Riley sample master I see? And I was like, What? Get the fuck out of here. And he was like, Yeah, and he's like Yo, go listen to the album. And then we did. 
and my label didn't even know. Wow. So I told them like the day after I heard it, I was like, yo, Blackstreet sampled Master I See. And like the president of my label, like he just stood up like, really? Okay. And then I don't know, like a couple of days or weeks passed. And then I just remember the vice president of the label saying, you gotta come in, we have something for you. And I was like, okay. And she has this envelope and she gave me like this whole speech before she gave me the envelope. And she was like, Mike, I want, I'm gonna give this to you because this is rightfully yours. And I want you to be, I don't want you to do things you shouldn't do. And I'm gonna, and I wanna just, and she kept snatching the check. Like, and I was like, all right, I get it. And she's like, and I want you to get a vehicle because you're spending a lot on grand cars. And I was like, all right, no one. She's like, and I don't want you to get a rapper vehicle. I want you to get like a regular nice. And I was like, can I see the, so I opened it and I just remember my jaw dropping. And I remember looking in the box, you know, the, the on the right-hand side of the check again, like for like I kind of did one of these and then I was looking again and I had never seen anything like that in my life with my name on it. So I like was like, are you sure this is for me? Are you sure there wasn't like an error or, or some, and she was like, no, that's all yours. And like, I just saw the look on her face, like, oh my God, he's gonna buy all the weed he possibly can right now. And he's gonna go get like Hennessy and yeah. And yeah, she was right. I did do both of those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then Irv took me to Lexus on like 11th Avenue in, New in Manhattan. It was 11th, it's 11th Avenue and 56th or something like that. And I had never seen this GS that he kept talking about. And he's like, yo, there's this new GS coming out and it has like these buggy eyes and you have to see it and I'm gonna get it next week. And then I saw the car and it was like a match made in heaven. Like I fell in love at the dealer and there weren't any actual cars there yet. Like Lexus hadn't even shipped any of the vehicles. You could only see it in a book and with a video presentation. And I like bought it right there. And so again, I have to thank Teddy Riley for some of the best days of my life. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just, it's nuts to me because that album sold units. When You know, when people talk about they sold record, that another level, yeah. another level album sold, yeah. sold units. Oh yeah, absolutely. To this day. Yeah, this still day. selling to this day. Yeah. If we stick to the natural, um, Royal Flush, very mm -hmm. important part of your story. He Absolutely. almost played. He almost played like a, a supporting actor role, similar to um, Ghostface on Cuban Links. Why was he featured mm -hmm. on so many songs on your debut? You know, it's not anything we thought about, and I think that's the beauty of the natural. The natural was a very come as you are organic experience like now that I'm older and I reflect on it. And those things that people may say, because they're concentrating so much on a template of what an album was supposed to be at that time, we didn't do any of that, like none of it. And so that day, 
like Flush is, is family to me. You know, like we've been together since we were like grade school kids. So, you know, like I played little league on his cousin's baseball team and that's how we got cool. And mm. so when it came fast forward to us making music, we just naturally, if he had a session, I was going. And if I had a session, he was coming. And, and if he came up with an idea in my session, it didn't matter we would use it and if i did that at his session it wouldn't matter that's what we did so we kind of looked at i guess we looked at each other as one and if one went and did it the other one was there mm. and so to me we didn't at all say well we're gonna only do two songs together or three songs together or four songs together we just went and did songs and if they sounded good and if we both felt like yeah that was it that's the shit let's go with it then that's just how we roll yeah I so like that. it ended up where you know it, it, if he's not doing a verse he's doing a hook and if he's not doing that you'll hear him in the background right. and to me that's as it should have been because mm. when you look at one you look at two mm, i like that but considering the chemistry that you both have why didn't we get a, a michael flush album Oh, I think a lot of that had to do with scheduling initially, because at that time, at the point that he was releasing Ghetto Millionaire, I wasn't just getting ready to work on the second album, but there were all these different things that I had ended up getting involved in. Like, um, I remember I was modeling for Hilfiger, um, and I had just started to do a little bit of film work. Um, and then there were, you know, like in terms of appearances and performances, I may have been booked to be on the West coast while he's actually scheduled to be recording. And so a lot of it didn't pan out at the time. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was just more so, I think, you know, sometimes you just go where the world takes you and, um, the, uh, the funny part is like we're doing that now good to hear so we're we're good. working now and <laughs> and then also like i'm not gonna pull punches like we're very different i think in terms of how we actually work so with me i'm kind of more of okay we're doing x and we're doing y and we're doing z and we should have this done by this and it shouldn't take you any longer than x x amount of time to do this and then from there that gives the producer enough time to do what he wants to do. And and that's just how I am when I go in. And I wasn't always that, that, that uh, I don't want to say strict, but that, um, that concerned with the regiment, I guess is a way to say it. Right. And I think with Flush, it's a little more easygoing when you go in the studio where it's like, ah, don't worry, no, we'll fix that. Nah, it's okay. Like, so what? You worry too. So it's just a different style, you know? And I think that too played a big part in terms of why we didn't do it earlier. Mm. But that's actually what we're up to doing right now. And it's all coming out pretty good. So I don't have any complaints, nor does he. Yeah. I don't yeah. Think. Right on yeah. time. Right on time. Sumit, over to you. Yeah. So you've been on a few posse cuts, and we know you can hold your own on any of them. But the posse cuts that you like to, is it? Do you enjoy the spirit of competition that, that, that bring? Or, you know, what's your advice for an MC to, when preparing to jump into one? 
Um, I think for me, it's a, the exact opposite. Like, I know I love working with artists that I, that, that I, I respect and that I, that I, you know, if I'm a fan of what they do and, and I know I love working with anybody that's like family to me. And like, I've been fortunate. I don't think there's any artist that I have worked with that I wouldn't rightfully be able to be like, okay, that's like family to me, you know? So with me, I don't even really think I dig the competition aspect of it. I think that once I'm in that position, like I'm like Marty McFly, like, um, <laughs> like I do my best to like, you know, skirt around it. But then if I hear that, oh, you're a chicken, Marty, then it's like, what would you say? And I say that as to say, when I am in those, uh, you know, when you are doing those posse cuts, I'm initially kind of like, all right, I'm here, you know, we're all here. And then I might hear that one bar from someone else in the room where I'm like, oh, wait a minute, what? And then I'm like, oh, okay, no, yeah, all right. It's go no, time. Right, it's go time. It's go and then I go and I do it. Was there a specific posse cut in mind that when that happened where you heard a bar that made you go, right, I'm, go I'm going for it? Uh, I think maybe usual suspect, because that was an incredibly intimidating experience <laughs> yeah, which, I've, which i've got here which I, which we'll, we'll dig into um now that that must have been that must have been yeah like because i mean it, it was um i mean first of all dmx alone just alone you know and then he starts it off like what's all the noise about have some respect shut the fuck up and you're like damn well what am i gonna say to that and and that's that's that pretty much like set the benchmark for where everyone else was going to be on that song. He started off, he starts to like, you know, shut the fuck up. And you're like, okay, nothing I say could be unintentional right now. Like if you just started it off with telling the whole world to shut the fuck up. Okay. You know, so, and then a lot. And I remember I heard them say, it's pitiful, everything's political, but I got more rounds now, so all y'all could get a few. You know the shit that we be on the three on and bust be the money like Dion, so we see on. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kiss does right. that. Right. And I was like, okay, touche, pussycat. I'll be right back, bro. Give me like <laughs> 10 minutes. And so it's stuff like that that I say, but but that's all good because yeah. that forces you to it forces you to dig deep and, and come up with something that's going to stick and resonate just as much as what you heard before you so i think in that sense i dig the competition you know but by nature i'm just like my wife cracks me up because she's like um you do your best work when you're pissed off like if you're absolutely mad at everything you're like you're like if the Hulk was a poet, like you get pissed off and wow. then you just say things. And she's like, and you can't, when you're mad, you don't do it in the same way. But if someone pisses you off, you just go somewhere that, she's like, you gotta find out how to keep that little part of you as a constant. And I'm like, okay, cool. You that's, know, dope. So. that's dope, because uh, Chris was saying to me yesterday that he f sometimes feels the same about me now, so. Um, <laughs> so I'm the not 
no, I'm the I'm like, I'm the nice guy, right? So everyone calls right. him the aggressive. I'm the nice guy, but if right. you piss me off, like I'm yeah. like like the, this is a full time jack move from a podcasting point of view. This right. is a full time jack move. Exactly. I've had enough. I've had enough. I've had, right. I've, I've had it. Zero to one hundred. Right. That's it. That is it. So I, I can't understand that. Um, how how does it? I don't know if you. I, I mean, I, we. I've heard you talk about this in interviews, and you may have not known at the time. But how does it feel to be on a song? So. We hear a young Ja Rule, a young DMX, a young Hove. But how does it feel to be on a song where DX and, and J are going at each other without no one really realizing it? I mean, now it's comical. Like, now I could listen to it and I could laugh and I could be like, oh, man, y'all niggas is crazy. I could do that now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the time, it was incredibly awkward. And, and it could have been more so, but I don't think everyone knew that they were talking about each other. And it, it kind of like when Irv did tell me and I did listen, I was like, oh, that's kind of fucking crazy. And you're kind of a madman for ginning it up and then presenting it and making them both do verses. And, I, and in a maniacal kind of way, it was genius because right. he got them to both go as hard as they possibly could have gone because they know that they're going at each other and me and rule are totally oblivious to this and so the end result of what you get is like wow did you call him a chicken and did you did you just say you were gonna hit him with a two by four, by four. <laughs> right and and then you know so now when when people ask me about it, i'm like yeah now i can laugh about it and now i'm completely comfortable with it but at the time, I was just like, it's it's very awkward. Yeah. And I don't know how to, like, I didn't want to be in a room with both of them together at the same time. Mm. You know, so, because I can't choose a side. I love you both. What am I, what are you going to do? Mm. You know, so, but it, it made for good stuff. And it's, I'm glad that now we can sit back and be like, well, yeah, everybody thinks this phenomenal thing we did, like, they have no idea how much, how it's good we can laugh about this guy. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Animosity, the animosity was, was so right. much at that, that point. animosity was crazy. And, and again, I reiterate, like, I was so, like, I didn't have animosity towards anyone. And I didn't, like, that's not me. You know, like, I'm just smoke weed, chill guy. You know, and, until somebody gives me a reason not to, you know. Blunt so. recordings, baby. It's blunt recording. It's, it's, it's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, another, another, so we, we spoke to OC uh, and we, we, were, we went through OC's catalogue and one of the songs yeah. I mentioned to him was uh, Men Versus Many, which again, I have on a promo. Because yeah. um, it's, it's one of my favourite songs off the natural period. And I think one thing I like about it is how you flush, oh, kind of finish each other's rhymes. How, Whose idea was that? That's like a uh, that, was it just natural or? Again, it was it was just organic. It was like we, we we knew what the beat was. If I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of members many was was written right there that day. Oh wow! Because we were all deciding to finish each other's sentence. And I think that the first time we did it, it started like it was completely chance. Like I think, I think Flush said something, or maybe I said something, and then Flush jumped in. And then I think it was Walt who was like, "Wait, 
I want you to finish what he says. I want you to finish what he says. I want you to throw it to each other. But I don't want you to throw it in a way where it would be, you know, identifiable as to, okay, he's going to launch and he's going to catch now. And so we were all like, right, cool. And then he's like, not only that, I want you all to do it in the same room at the same time on one mic. So we kind of did it in the most traditional sense. Mm. Like we did it how, you know, like if James Brown was doing something with Bobby Bird back in the day that they were in one room with one mic and we did it in that tradition. We were all one room, one microphone. If that one take came out perfect, then it did. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think we did too many takes to finish the complete record. I think we maybe did maybe five or six, like, okay, say that over really quick. But it was very, very, like it was just, to me, it was, it was just that shit, that magic that happens when you're in the right place at the right time with the right beat, with the right vibe. And if you tried to do it any other day, you'd never be able to do it. Mm. So it was just cosmically that day, that's what happened. And, and on my vinyl, it says recorded at D&D, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's sto stories but, there. If, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that was maybe one of the only opportunities that we used D&D on The Natural. There may have been maybe one or two other songs that we did. But that was a trip in itself too. That was cool because D&D &D at the time was like, that was like Premier's home. That was his house. Yeah. And so me, I just felt honored to be working at D&D. &D. You know, and at that time as an MC, if you was working in D&D, &D, you felt like, oh, I'm in the, I made it to the dungeon, I'm here, you know? So right. that in itself, or every little thing play is what you get in that record. Just a quick sidebar before we finish off on the natural. Did you record that baseline? We did. What song we did you did. record? A, what, what song did? I, I'm 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 the resident uh, hove stan uh, on this. Right, podcast. and I'm I'm trying to remember what song we did at baseline. Um, I would pull it up on the Google. It's just that because we're recording on Zoom, you see, I don't want to mess up the recording. Not, it would have to be. It might have either been. The Shy Skills record, man, of my own, or it may have possibly been wherever you at. Don't quote me. Okay. Um, but it may have been one of those. Okay. Like, it's easier for me to say where I know it wasn't, because I know we did this there, and I know we did this here. And so I'm not certain, but we definitely, definitely worked the baseline. Wow. There were certain studios that I just loved, so we were always at those studios. Um, the final question I have on the natural before we move on is um, why is Shireen so hard to trust? <laughs> because you, you should be aware of these things, young man, instead of run, running around with the impetuousness of youth. That's why. Like, like, oh, like it just is what it is. And that, like, I don't know a Shireen. I don't, that never happened. I just was in the studio in North Carolina, and that's the story that came to my mind. Amazing. And I wrote it. We, we always know the correlation later. I mean, and you've talked about that before, but it was just, when, when, I, when I was looking at the song, I was like, yo, Shireen, 
why is this? Why is she so hard to trust? So I just, I just had to ask. I just had to ask, Chris. What she just what? She wasn't the one you bring home the mom. No, 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 not, not at all. You bring home the mom. No, not at all. No. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Two years later, though, you dropped you dropped the the Vendetta album, nineteen ninety seven. Right. Um, nineteen ninety seven in hindsight was a time where a lot more money was flowing. In, yeah, in hip hop, um, you know, chart success, and there were more expectations um, for chart success. What were Blunt Recordings' expectations for the Vendetta? What did they consider to be uh, a success for that album, as opposed to the natural being your introduction? Well, I think at that time they definitely were, like, they were definitely looking at. Okay, it's not a matter of platinum; it's a matter of how many times over um i think where they didn't put enough thought or rather just couldn't didn't have the ability to think was what gets you to that point um and i think a lot of the time they wanted me to they kind of wanted to try and steer me into where they wanted me to be viewed as an artist. Like, um, I remember the president of the label one day, he was like, uh, yeah, so you're gonna do a Fuji record? And I was like, okay, I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, Wyclef was just here yesterday and these are the beats and da 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 da. And he wants you to come out to, to Jersey, to their studio. and. And I was just like, okay. And he's like, yeah, man, you know, you should do some more like Tribe Called Quest sounding things. And I just kind of did one of the like, okay, person who doesn't rap, thanks. You know? <laughs> and then I like, you know, so we ended up, so they would do those sorts of things. And then we ended up working with the Fugees, I mean, with Wyclef. And he actually did a remix for Wherever You Are. And I actually went with, the trauma unit who did the remix that came out but that was tvt's effort to try and steer me and so like they wanted me to have a ready or not wow. and they wanted me to have a, a um you know one of those those you know the they wanted me to have that record where it's like oh do you need him to perform after q-tip and the fuji sure we can put him here and that's cool, but it's not because if that's not what you feel in your heart, then how genuine could that be? You know, so I think that they 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 had their hearts were in the right places, but I just don't think that they knew how to get me where they wanted me to eventually be. Mm, mm. I'm, I just want to I want to interject real quick, and I just want to let you know. In terms of your catalog, in my opinion, for the family is like, well, mm. listen, yeah. Come on now. Fam, fam, listen, listen. Talk about it. Listen, you see, you see, you and K Def, yeah. I'm pointing right. at the screen. You right. and K Def uh-huh. is for the family, blood, life, truth, for crime, hold you down really? to the ends of. T- listen, listen, listen. <sighs> I don't know what to say, man. That song is incredible. Wow, you think it could be bad or comfortable? No, that. that song is incredible. Like <laughs> oh, that song is amazing. I don't listen. I 
I'm going to be honest with you. Like, when that song comes on, it does something to me. Like, I get, I'm, I'm a good guy. I grew up in church. I don't smoke. I'm just, I'm just cool. I'm just here listening to my rap music. I'm just Again, I'm it. so sorry to hear that. But go ahead. I'm <laughs> but, when, but when For The Family comes on, it transports right. me somewhere else. Like, yeah, like if I was ever in a jam, you know, only to yourself so you can but that's fight. Dope. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, that what you're saying, bro, is like that shit is going to stick with me until last breath. I'm telling you, and man. That that, everything. That's one of your, that, to me, that's one of your, your best records, the beat. And I appreciate in, it. In the back of my mind, I was kind of like, oh, man, if we have uh, Mike Geronimo and K Def, like, it's one of those songs where, you know, even if we never get anything from you ever again, that song to me, and then when K Def released the instrumental, I bought the instrumental, I tried to write to it. And I said, no, leave it alone. You can't do it. You can't do it. Just leave it alone. I love that song. And also, Unstoppable, I think is crazy. It's one of Pete Rock's best beats. And the way you sounded on it just made me, I know with the natural, you know, Irv wanted to produce more of it. And you were like, no, this is the sound I'm going with. And then to hear right. you on a Pete Rock record, just let me know that you know, you knew your artistry better than your label, than the people around you. And you were right all along. So. Salute. I appreciate that, man. I really do. Like, but again, like I said, I was always big on, you know, like to me, music is something where when it's really good, it's not anything that you could plan. And it's not like I, I'm I still to this day say that like you have people that, you know, people go to and they're like, oh yeah, if you want to hit, go to this producer. You know, and if you want to hit, go to this artist. And the truth is, no one can fucking tell you concretely what makes a hit. No one. Yeah, I no agree. One. You know, I like, agree. a hit is so much of the right energy and the right recipient and the right donor and the right time. And... If you asked, like, let's say, if you asked Whitney Houston to, okay, we need you to do Bodyguard 2. How is she going to fucking do that? If yeah. you asked Dr. Dre, yo, we need you to do Deep Cover 2. And we need it to sound way better than Deep Cover 1. How the fuck does he do that? Mm. Because he can't even explain to you rightfully how he knew to do what he did that made deep cover. And so to me, I'm big on trying to allow for that experience to occur when I do go to record. And if I hear it in the beat that that producer provides, it does not matter to me who it is, as long as I hear it. And I do remember recording with K Def at his studio in Jersey. Mm. And and Marley Mall, shout out to Marley Mall. He mixed yeah. it. Yeah, Mall was there. And so yeah. and it was cool because it was just me, Kay, and Marley. And we just went and did what we did. And same thing with Pete. Like I went to Pete's crib. And Pete, I think of all of them, like um, like Pete and Buck are like really like family too. Like I had a bad car accident years ago and Pete was like one of the first people in the emergency room. Mm. So it's like, 
you know, when you get to work with, with people like that and it's not anything where you, you try not to let everything else interfere and uh, unstoppable and for the family again, were very organic records. And so was, um, for the, for the most part, so was, um, the record I did with happy. Yeah. I'm telling so you, man, those, 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 those songs for the family. Did you write it on the spot? Oh uh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Why you like this, Mike? Why you like this? <sighs> be like Mike, innit? Be like Mike. Be, be like, like Mike. Mike. Yeah, exactly. Be like Mike. Exactly. Be, be like, like Mike. Mike. Be like Mike. Um, I, I didn't hear the beat before I got it. And a lot of those times, like with certain people, I had to be, you know, prior. So like Usual Suspects, uh, I got to sit on the beat a second after everyone recorded. And um nothing move but the money with puff like i picked that beat so i had that beat in my house and i'm playing it every day and i'm like okay i know what i'm gonna do here and i know what i'm gonna do there but then there were other times where it was just spontaneity and if if you didn't have that then it wouldn't have came out being what it was mm. so i just went nice um, just a just a sidebar i talked to you about this uh, before the interview started so this mm -hmm. is my promo copy. Um, yes. so I'm showing I'm, sh I'm showing my promo copy of Vendetta. They did the locks. Uh, they did the locks dirty. The locks is spelt L O Z. Um, it's on the right. vinyl, um, right. not L O X. Right. <laughs> it's spelled like. What are those guys' names again? Oh, okay. Yeah, but you should know this because you're the one with the bank account with the with the building, and, and you're the one who. Never mind. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The L O Z, the L O Z, the laws. Right, right. It's the laws. It's right, <laughs> and that was totally okay. And mind you, like TBT pressed, like they had everything in house. So like artwork, all of that was done in house. So it's not like anyone could have been like, oh well, yeah, no, you did this wrong. And even story. even, so even the usual suspects here. So on the on the B side. It says produced by Sean Puffy Coombs for Bad Boy Entertainment. No, no, no. They actually meant side A. Nothing, nothing but move right, the money right. it's okay. on both sides. Again, right? Again, <laughs> again. Sorry, they were smoking on something. Let's just be right. real. Right. Right. Um, so, were there any discussions? Because um, we talked to OC about him possibly uh, signing to Bad Boy, and uh, so he told us that. Puff wanted to remix the whole entire word life. Yeah, I heard about that. And yeah. he and he he said nah. Uh, and so Puffy said, get the fuck out of my office. Were there any <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Puff. Um, were there any discussions around signing with Puff and Bad Boy for you at that time? Or was it just more like it was collaborative or what what happened with that? Well, it was weird because like um like Bad Boy pretty much like I remember at the time people thinking I was actually signed to Bad Boy. And then I had like people who thought I was signed to Def Jam and and people always had a tough time identifying what label I was with. And then they would hear like blunt recordings and they'd be like, oh yeah, who the fuck is that? You know, so, but it, it was weird, you know, like just weird. And Bad Boy like kinda, they kinda like figuratively put their arms around me and like I would say, for lack of a better phrase, adopted me. Mm. 
Like, you know, I would go there even when I didn't have to record, you know, like I, I would just go chill and, and go over ideas of things I might want to do. And there were so many people that I was cool with at that label. And then furthermore, my manager's brother had a very close working relationship with Puff. Um, and with um, people that were staffed at Bad Boy. And then Irv definitely had his relationship, you know, mobile to mobile. And so I think at some point, I mean, Puff definitely would tell me shit like, like, yo, nigga, you're supposed to have a Bad Boy jacket on, man. Like, yo, we got to, we just got to fit. Matter of fact, yo, just take this one and wear it because you should be in Bad Boy outfits right now. So it was always that kind of, you know, big bro, little bro, and yo, you should be over here with me. And, and I definitely was like, yeah, that would be cool if I was. But I don't think we ever had those talks to the the next level as to where I was like, okay, the plan is for you to get out of contract here and then come here. You know, but I don't think in the end that I actually even needed that because as I said, they were so supportive of what I was doing. And they definitely treated me as though I were on their label, you know, and and there was a family dynamic. Like to this day, if people ask me about Puff, I'm like, yo, that's like my big brother. I, I got love for him, you know, no matter what, up, down, left, right, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, so the, the Master IC remix was done by Nashim from Hitman, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, so I you think know, that it, was actually Harv Pierre's idea and Harv, yeah, Harvard's people, because Harvard's, you know, like, he's like family, and he's from Queens. And we, you know, we know a lot of the same people. So Harvard actually had a lot of the ideas for things I should do when I did work with Babylon, with the exception of nothing move. Like, like I said, that beat I heard someone play, and I was like, yo, I like that. And Puff was like, that's for LL, that's not for you. And I was like, well, I want to use it. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And so we went and did it. So that's what, that was for, for LL Cool J? Yeah, absolutely. It was, wow. He didn't even want me, he, like the beat he gave me was no way, shape or form like the nothing move but the money. It was, what he gave me, I would consider to be more street. And I was just going through, like I said, I, and everyone couldn't go to Bad Boy and just be like, yo, well, let me hear these beats. So let me hear those beats. And I was just pretty much in one of the side rooms, just listening to tracks. And I was like, yo, this shit is hot. Who shit is this? And he was like, that's for LL. And I was like, I'll take that. And he was like, yo, you want to do that? And he was like shocked, but he was also, I think, impressed in the sense that he's like, yo, I had no idea you would want to try something this different for someone like you. So when I did say I wanted to do it, he was like, yo, let's go for it. You know? And we did. Hmm. Excellent. Chris? You know, I was going to ask you about adapting to the landscape in 97, just how things have changed with music, but you pretty much answered it for me. You've pretty much answered it for me. I, you know, from where I'm standing, Mike, it, it's, you came out in a very competitive time. And what yeah. I mean is the fact that now, if you ask people who, who, who are the top MCs, you get the same three names for the most part. It's Drake, it's Kendrick, and it's J. Cole. You had to right. compete with, you know, your OCs, 
um, your Jay Ruse and all, mm-hmm. all, all, all these different types of people. Like coming out in 97, you know, yeah. God, God bless the dead. Biggie, Biggie had gone. You know, Bad Boy was up here. Right, bad boy was way, way, yeah. way, way, way up here. And I, you know, before yeah, this, in, before this interview, I wanted, I wanted to definitely pick your brain on on how you adapted. But it seems you have, you were, you were a lot more visionary than I may have given you credit for. Like, because I would never have said you would pick not, nothing move but the money to be. Never would have thought that. I thought I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought it would have been more. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't want to. One of the things I, I did, I do remember about how I was thinking at that time. I remember one of the biggest things that would bother me is, like Earl would always say, we need to find your niche. And I would be like, okay. And he's like, you know, like Ja has his niche and Jay has his niche and X has a niche and everyone has their niche. And with you, we got to find your niche. And I would go home and I would say to myself, well, maybe my niche is that I don't have a niche. And I don't want to be pigeonholed into the expectations of everything around me. So I do remember that one of the biggest thoughts I had at that time was I didn't want to be pigeonholed or limited. And I didn't want anyone to tell me what I could, how far or how, or how fast I could go, you know? So, my whole thing was the worst thing that could happen is I do a record and it's just not that record that I needed to do. And that's okay. I've never said that everything I do was going to be, you know, up to, to what it, the, the expectation of it should be. But that's how I ended up being able to say, well, no, I don't want to use that. I want to do this, you know, and I've always been that way. I've always been a believer in, you know, you, you do have to be cognizant of how things work and you do have to, in certain instances, I don't want to say cater, but you, you've got to do those things that, that, that people love from you. You know, you do have to do that. But if that's all you do, then how are you ever supposed to grow as an artist? Yeah, good point. What, what did you learn? Now, speaking of growth, what did you learn about yourself? Uh, with the Vendetta album around that time. What did you learn about yourself? Um, actually, like in terms of me at that time, I don't think what people knew was, like I was in a very dark place at that time. Um, there was a lot of chaos between East and West Coast. Right. Uh, there was a lot of internal chaos between my management and the label. There was chaos between Irv and myself. So, and then there was chaos of things that were outside of the label and the music. And just because you know you are in this world and just, and just because you know you, it was just a lot of shit going on. Right. Um, and I, for the most part, uh, I, at that time felt pretty much like I felt alone, like, and and I could be in a room full of people, but still feel like, all right, I, all I have is me. Um, and so I think that when it came to the album, 
Um, in terms of what got recorded, with the exception maybe of Life and Lesson and Usual Suspects, um, with the exception of those two records, everything else I did was just pretty much, all right, all you have is you, and if this is how you feel, then let's go and try it. And sometimes that worked out, and sometimes it didn't. That's, that's interesting because my, my next question to that was, so like one of the things I like about you, so there's the wordplay, there's flipping, like this flipping stuff with wordplay and you're being incredible with that, but, the, but like how you've been on Vendetta and then later on uh, ever be the same on, on long, long Road yeah. Back, like you really show, you really showcase your range as a writer, right? So there's introspection, there's vulnerability. We nowadays call that adult contemporary rap. But this is 97, this is 2003, right? And like, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because what I was thinking was like, in the climate, did you ever give, like, it sounds like you never really gave a second thought to make those songs because it's something you wanted to do. And that's really interesting. No, I, and I didn't, I really didn't. Like, I, how you been? Um, the first thing I thought about when I heard it was my mom. Right. You know, and, um, and I was like, wow, I never wrote anything regarding, you know, her passing or or just expressing how I feel with her not being around. Um, and so I did, you know, and ever be the same again. Same thing, you know, like I do think that I never didn't write something that I didn't feel or wasn't experiencing. And I think so much so, like, for me, it's very hard to write a song that's a real stretch of imagination. Yeah. Like, I think everything I do, like, Shireen may have been a completely fictional account, but it still borrows elements of the life I lived or the life I lived at that time or the things I may have experienced or saw. And so I think, um, like, I always try and incorporate that. And I think it, I have to actually say to myself, well, if you wanted to write about some land that didn't exist and people that right. don't exist or fly around, you know, your imagination doesn't just say, okay, Mike, you have to stop here. And that it has to always be a hybrid of what is and what isn't. You can write what isn't. That's okay too. But yeah. I had to become comfortable with that and I think that's always been something that I've had basis in in, in terms of if it's what you felt and if it's what your heart told you to do then you do it. There's a real authenticity to I think to everything you do mm. I think that comes across in your music I think that's why I mean I can speak for myself and probably Chris that's why we love you so much because it's what what we're hearing from you is everything that you're either going through or that's something a part of you. And I think that's what makes a great artist, whether it's a rapper, whether it's a paint, whether any form of artistry, that authenticity is everything, right? When we talk mm -hmm. to young, uh, when we talk to, when I talk to young artists and young people come through journalists, just be yourself, be your authentic self and people yeah. gravitate, relate. And in some ways that's the, because we're, 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 so, we're so bogged down in trying to make people happy that we lose ourselves in that moment. So exactly. the thing I love yeah. about your music, the thing I love about your music is everything from, from the gritty songs, which just makes me feel like Jizza and Liquid Swords, it takes me somewhere. 
Uh, that's why I love Liquid Swords. I love because it takes me somewhere. Oh, and I, I think love, I can't I love that album. Like that's one. Of I mean, my time. like I think it's one of the most brilliant albums ever done. And I don't think people give it enough of the credit that it deserves. And it, 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 it just, his words are like mind blown. Like every yeah. song, like, you know, so yeah, I, I get it. I get it. So it, it's, it's that authenticity. And I think that's definitely something for me to go out. This is, this is why we love you. Um, Chris, let's wrap this up and get some kind of bonus questions and then let, let Mike get on out here. Um, we're not gonna keep it. Too, we're not gonna keep it too much longer, Mike. Oh, no, right. I'm having a good time, man. Oh, we, I'm, we, I'm we, we appreciate it. So, December eighteenth, nineteen ninety-seven. You were in a cipher. All right. Um, uh -huh. I, I like to say you were among trained killers and lyrical hitmen. These were not people. <laughs> no, these were these were not people to play with. These were not people no, to play with. No, um, <laughs> it's you. It was cannabis. <laughs> big pun. <laughs> DMX, Mostef, John Forte. Now, apart from yourself, apart from yourself, mm -hmm. right? Who do you think had the best verse on that day and why? Oh, no. You know what? Let's change it. If you don't want to answer that, what was your favorite yeah. verse that day? <laughs> if you don't want to answer that, it's up to you. Like, it's up oh, to you. No pressure involved I mean, with that question, right? I, you know, uh, here's what I will say. Cannabis verse was cool, but ultimately that was the first time that you heard second round knockout because that's the verse he used in right. second round knockout. So it was cool to hear that verse before everyone else heard it because then I left that day and I was like, okay, he did respond. So that was cool. Mm. Um, pun is just an enigma and an anomaly. And he was just created somewhere in space and time that I don't think anyone else has ever been. And he just lyrically was a, he was like a Hoover Dam. Like he was just that much power with delivery and, 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 and execution and it was just an amazing verse. Yeah. And like, I listen to Pun's verse and I'm like, oh man, I, I, could, I can't touch that with like an 80 foot pole. Like, even if I tried my hardest, I wouldn't be able to touch that. And then I think of X verse. I'm like, well, X is gonna rip your head off every fucking time that he gets in front of you. <laughs> and it wouldn't matter if it was a thousand people or a million people. He his goal is to try and leave as much blood on the dance floor as possible. Good, that's a good description. <laughs> that that's X, and and then I, so with him, I'm just like I'm just glad that that's like my brother, and he inspires me to to try and get as gritty as I can. So I just think that that verse is remarkable, and then I think John Forte lyrically has one of the smoothest deliveries I've ever heard in rap. And I don't think people even acknowledge him the way that that they should. Like I just recently saw, I think Wyclef explaining how, you know, if John Forte wasn't in the studio when they did the score, 
the score would not be the score. Right. And that's 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 big. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he gave him the credit as saying, you know, his energy is what propelled, you know, the score to be the score. And I think that that's major. And as a person, John Forte is is an amazing dude. Man. He, he he's one of the coolest people I've ever encountered in life. I, I have love for him. So, you know, like his verse to me was, and his delivery was nothing short of flawless. And then you have Most Deaf, and Most Deaf to me is unique because he's like a drum clip in in a in a in a in a, a two two three. Like if you took a Remington two two three and you put a, a drum clip on it and you altered it from semi-auto to auto, that's most that. It's powerful, it's loud, it's in your face, it's unapologetic, but it's incredibly intelligent and it's incredibly rapid fire. And so, you know, all of them, I could see the greatness in each and every one. And then I look at myself and I'm like, well, you don't want to just freestyle because you couldn't think of nothing to say and you were on a spot and you just, well, I hope this goes okay. And so I did. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's an honor, and, yeah. and 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 you know, like it's an honor one because I got to spend a day with my friends, and somebody just so happened to be recording it. Right. And I don't think we ever imagined what that day would mean down the line for another generation of people that are just watching us be ourselves. Yeah. 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 You know, and then on the personal note, it, it's a soft spot for me because I'm like, damn, that's like one of the coolest days I had with Pun. You know, and um, and I miss him as my friend who's not here anymore. You know, and um, so there's that, and it, like I said, sometimes there's just no words to describe. You know, so I could say appreciative and I could say gratitude and I could say humble and I could say unbelievable. But even that's just scratching the surface of how I want to, you know, express that day. So I'm just glad that it means what it does to people. It's a, it's a, leg it's a legendary moment. It's, le it's legendary. I think it's, it's going to be reference material for generations to come. That's cool. I, I, I just want to point out very briefly, while it is a cipher, it's technically another posse cut. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? Technically, theoretically speaking, yeah, I yeah. guess. You could, <laughs> like, if you did want to bottle it up and package it and put a nice... It's the posse. Right, you put a ribbon on it and boom! You, you, you could boom, definitely sell that. You know, mm. but like I said, I'm... I'm honored and I'm just, I'm so glad that, that it, like when it does get to my uh, knock on wood, you know, when I do have that moment where I have to look back because I'm going somewhere else, you know, that's one of those things that I could have a joy in knowing I did and that I have and that my kids could look at, and, you know, it goes on afterwards. So 
I can't express how happy I am that, that I was a part of that and that happened, you know. The, can't uh, express it. The final question from me is uh, around uh, X's uh, Great Depression album. The kind okay. of the, the follow-up to Usual Suspects 2 kind of, uh, it's like almost the, the sequel. Right. Um, did he approach you to do that? Or, because you know, he's your man. No. No, very interesting story with that record. So I had did, uh, my cousin actually produced it. Um, so we got the beat and we did it. And first off, to get the record done, like X was shooting exit wounds at the time in Canada. Um, so we actually, pardon me, we had to go to Canada to um to record. And I was just under the impression like, all right, cool, we'll go to Canada for a weekend, we'll record it, you know, we'll chill out, we'll bug out, I'll come home. Well, I ended up out there for three weeks. Wow. Because he wanted to watch South Park and smoke weed and like, all right, dogs, so now we're gonna go play pool, dogs. So come on, let's go play pool, dog. And I'm like, yeah, but can we do the rec? No, nah, don't worry, dog. We're gonna get it done, dog. Let's go get weed more and more. Look, look, I'm in over here. He has this and this. So eventually, all of yo, we're gonna. That's like three weeks, right? So now I'm like, dude, you you totally kidnapped me for like three weeks. Like I have a family. <laughs> like I have to go home, bro. So like it got to the point. Actually, we jumped in the car and we were driving to the border. And I just remember us feverishly like smoking weed and eating weed and everything we could because we had so much weed that we like, we can't get back into the United States with all this weed. So then as we're going to the border, the phone rings and his ex and he's like, all right, Doug, I'm sorry, come back. We're going to do the record. My bad. <laughs> and we start like, the dynamic of our relationship he he always will tell me i care too much and i always will tell him that he doesn't care enough and wow. so that was the that's the dynamic of our relationship but but we're very candid with each other but i think it's only out of the love we have for each other that we are so candid you know so i was tight i was <laughs> mad because i was like yo I am not signed to Def Jam, okay? This is all coming out of Mike's pocket. And, Word, yeah. And you kept me here, and I've been patient, and yeah, it's great. I met Jet Li and, and Anthony Anderson, and wow, it's pretty cool watching you not shoot the movie when you should have scheduled and get docked. But I have to go home now. So he calls and he's like, and we're, we're literally, I would say a half a mile from the border, from custom. He's right. like, you know what, dog, I'm sorry. Come on, turn around. We're going to do the record tomorrow. And I'm like, yo, where am I staying? Uh, you could stay at my room, dog. And I'm like, no, where are you going to stay? I just bought a house, dog. Why would you buy a house in Canada? For what? You don't even go there that often. <laughs> but that's what happened. Finally, we do the record, all right? And <laughs> Gotti hears it, and I think Gotti gave it to a guy named Andrew Shack at Priority. 
And Priority apparently was working with the director at the time who was little known, who was Antoine Fuqua. Wow. And it was explained to us that Anton Fuqua was doing a movie called Training Day and that Denzel Washington was going to win a Grammy, I mean, an Academy Award for it. Yeah. And that Antoine has a scene in the movie where Snoop Dogg is being chased in a wheelchair and he doesn't want any other record in the world playing other than Shit Still Real. Now, this blew my mind because I was like, Wait, so then that would mean that we can be like the next three six mafia, like <laughs> so does that mean we'll win or and they were like, Yeah, pretty much. You're a lot yeah. for it. So we tell X and we're like, yo, they're swearing that Denzel Washington is gonna win an Academy Award for this movie. And this director dude doesn't hear any other record playing other than our record in this scene and he really wants it and i don't know who it was in his camp but i think somebody either wanted way more money or didn't agree with releasing it and so i think the way out of that was you know what dog i'm gonna buy this record from you and blah blah, blah. and he did and so he ended up buying shit still real from me and then i'm like all right and then he told me he's gonna put it on great depression and i won't lie it kind of hurt like when i did find out how he used it because you would you didn't even know that record was on that album yeah but the insult to the injury was okay so you totally just disregarded the fact that they just told you that this movie training day is not only going to do well, but that Denzel is going to win an Academy Award. And he would be maybe one of four African Americans who have ever won an Academy Award for Best Actor. And just to be a little bit of a part of that would have been amazing. Yeah. You know, so, but it went the way that it did. And that's it. I think this is like the first time I've publicly ever told that story about it. Wow. But, but that's how, and not only that, um, but they altered the record a great deal because um, I remember Loose, we did records with Loose and we did records with, with Bird, uh, Young Bird. Yeah. yeah. And that was like the first time I'd ever, like, I knew Berg when he was like 12, yeah. like 13, whatever age he was. He couldn't even smoke in the studio with us. That's how young he, were, he was. Um, and then the next thing I know, he like blows up and he's this artist, you know, running yeah. around. But, but we did that. But then there was also a dude named Big Stan that X dealt with. On Bloodline, and so yeah. X took it upon himself to like kind of, they re they did another mix of the record that kind of took away from the oomph of it. Like if you hear the original shit still real, it knocked way more, way wow. more. And he insisted that Big Stan go on the record. But after he bought the record for me, I pretty much forfeited, you know, being able to say anything. So 
you know, for me, shit's still real. I love it because it's me working with my bro, and it's another record that I've done with my bro. But it's also always going to be like, you know, it's going to be like, yo, I saw this beautiful girl, and I should have asked her her name, but I didn't. And now I'll never know. Yeah. So it's, it's mixed emotions on it. No, yeah. fair, fair. That, that's crazy. If you could tell no one that story until we put this out, that would be excellent. Oh, um, I'll definitely not <laughs> say the word. <laughs> Mike Geronimo, um, I don't want to end, we don't want to end this interview on a sour note. We just, we want to, um, we want to publicly salute you. Yeah. We want to give you your flowers. Um, we just want to say, you know, you have created art and music that we have lived our lives to. Um, to say that we're in our late 30s and we can refer to your music we can remember places, people, smells, names, everything. It just it's it's time travel without the machine. And um we 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 just want to say thank you for everything, man. It's um as a hip hop fan, it's a bucket list thing for us. We're not getting paid for this, yeah. but you know, it's it's we would do this again. And you are a legend. No. You are no, you are you are a you are a legend and um we 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 are on a mission. We say it's a full time jack move and we are on a mission to make sure people like yourselves are, are never forgotten and we're trying to just do our bit make our contributions and make sure your name stays relevant and present and just respected for generations to come thank you so much for everything no man thank you like i said like i mean for what you just said that's that's amazing like to hear and and i've never really been good with um kind of always been a little bit uncomfortable at certain points with, I, I guess, everything that comes with, you know, doing music and then you're out there. And so it's hard to absorb compliments, but I truly, sincerely am appreciative of it. Um, it's every bit the reason I believe that, you know, you do, we do what we do. Like, um, I always remember hearing Sting say, and I'm like the world's biggest police fan, like, I love Sting, like with a passion, I love the police, but I always remember hearing him say, music pays itself, it's its own reward. You know, so to hear that come from you guys and to know you guys are across the pond and I'm getting that from across the pond, that means everything in the world to me. You know, so I'm just appreciative. I'm so thankful that you guys found something that's a common a commonality and it resonates and it sticks with you. And I can't say enough how I appreciate it. I can't. So I, I'm very thankful. I'm very appreciative. I, I love that. I love you guys for doing this and telling me things you're telling me. I love, I love, you know, being able to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. You've given us. You've given us so much memories, and we we really appreciate and the time you've given us too. Yes. So yes. We we have more questions, but I think what we'll do is save it for another time because I'm sure we'll have That's to, cool. we'll be able to talk to you another time. No, you no you two you two are like Heckle and Jekyll. You're in now, so you know either Heckle call me or Jekyll call me or Goldie call me and tell me what day, what time, and I would absolutely do this again. No worries. Uh, the good part is when the pandemic blows over and we, we all three are at a pub or wherever we're going to go and I'm on your side of the world and we're all laughing together. That's the good part. Definitely. That's the good part. Definitely. So I'm looking forward to that, bro. I am.
Dope. Appreciate Dope. you, Thank man. you so Thank much. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much. Okay. Mike G. I, I, I call him Mike G like I know him. Be, like Mike. Toronto, be, be like, like Mike. Be like Mike. Master IC Michael on the Breakdown Michael, what's podcast. His, what's, his, what's his full name? I swear it's like Michael McDermott or something like that. Something serious. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But Mike okay. is serious. Look at that. Listen, you, you can't not listen to that and be, and be moved by someone who is so humble, great perspective. I felt inspired listening to after that after that conversation bro i felt inspired i went on twitter and i said yo i just felt inspired because he's been through so much you can see everything he's been through yo he was like modeling for tommy hilfiger that dm no that dmx that, that story is dmx is different he's different but you know what we love him for that yeah we do we do yeah we, do. we love him for that but, but nah, man use your suspects time to build like the, like the whole and x story like i'm the you know as the stand of the of the podcast here come on man like that that, that was like just hearing all those stories about him and and, and sequence the albums and irv's influence and just like how he puts things together his process how that's changed like him and flush i mean like raw flush we need to get raw flush yeah I, I need that i need that get a millionaire is one of my Ooh one of my uh, my go-to joints nah so i'm like i'm another one up we're putting numbers up on the board numbers another one um this is this is a lebron in in the in the in the basketball term this is lebron putting up 40 or 50 a game this, uh, this is, is this, this is, is, is it. uh in wrestling terms this is bret hart king of the ring 93 yeah man this is in, in classic in, matches in one night this is what we're doing classics yeah love it i love it but as always you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform Search Breaking Atoms Podcast if you're a new listener. If you're a current listener, all-time listener, day one, we love you. We support you. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Go on social media at Break the Atoms. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Do your thing. Show your love to Mike Geronimo. Show your love to Breaking Atoms Podcast. And until next week, we got another one, another one, and then another one. So until then, peace. Peace. Peace.